0: Man, I receive that. Morning, everyone. Again. Um, So after the service, just a note: we're gonna we're gonna have a time of prayer for Chris um, after we're sort of all wrapped up. So if you wanna join for that and you wanna pray over Chris, as he's uh, just in case you aren't wondering, he's so he's taking membership in the church and he's been affirmed now as a deacon as part of our leadership team. So um, that's part of what we were doing this morning with Chris, Um, and we want to pray for him after. I also want to just make a quick announcement about uh, Youth Alpha. We are going to be running a Youth Alpha uh, beginning November 17th during the lunch hour. So that's that's on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday for 13 weeks here, we're going to run Alpha during the lunch hour for grades eight and up. Students from LCI and other students um, for grades eight and up. Um, Their space is limited. Partly due to the code red, so um, we're. If you'd like your kid or your youth to go, please go to our website, uh, lcflandmark.com/youthalpha, and sign up. Because uh, the info is going out into the community this week. We're going to start to blitz, so and we only have 18 spots total for that. So really, really excited though for doing to be doing this. I wanted to get that info out. I also want to ask that you'd be in prayer. Um, as we do this because we really want to reach kids with this and the Youth Alpha, we'll do a video next week, um, but it's a phenomenal series. It's different than the Adult Alpha, which is also really, really good. Um, In my mind, Youth Alpha is even a lot funnier, um, and I I really like uh, the guys that do it, Ben and um, Jason Ballard. That's his name, Jason Ballard. He's an awesome guy. Um, I know some people who actually know him, so I feel like I kind of know him vicariously through them, but not really. But hi, Jason. No. Um, all right. So, unfortunately, this weekend, um, <laughs> I, every every year, I'm like, I, I I marvel, but not in a good sense at how death is celebrated and highlighted in just the most bizarre ways. Like, I I saw an article on these yards in Winnipeg that are all done up for Halloween, and I'm like, what in the world are we thinking? Um, and, And they're done for all the wrong reasons. And the crazy thing, though, and this is what's crazy for us as followers of Jesus, is that death is central to the way of Jesus, but not in any morbid or demonic sense. And the world gets it completely wrong. We do need to think about death. We do need to focus on death, but in a very, very different way. And we're going to do that this morning because we're told to remember the death of Jesus and to participate in this together as the church. And the the timing of this morning for me feels really, really significant because, again, what we've just been sharing, we're we're about to enter another round of restrictions that are going to affect how we gather together here and so this wasn't obviously planned this way but it, it's ended up this way We're now we're teaching on communion this morning and we're going to participate in it together this morning where we're not going to be able to be together like this for a while potentially. And so this feels significant. And so thank you for being here and thank you for coming together because this is, communion is so significant. I hope that as we draw this out of the word this morning that you'll see this. Because what communion symbolizes and proclaims, is, is connected to our formation in the way of Jesus. The, the very one that we worship, and uh, uh, we are worshiping as we participate in communion. We're worshiping Jesus, and that is no small or insignificant thing. And so 1 Corinthians 11, you probably know the passage. It's the one in the New Testament that's known well. We read from it quite often when we do communion but it speaks of the Lord's Supper or Communion. And and it quotes uh, there Jesus, Paul quotes Jesus in saying, again, that this is done in remembrance of him. It also says that as often as we do this, and I'll admit that during this whole COVID thing, we haven't done this as often as we would like, but as often as we do it, we proclaim Jesus's death until he comes. Like, think about the significance of that, of what we're doing. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about the proclamation of remembrance, that we are proclaiming something when we're remembering. There's a proclamation that goes out, and I don't, I don't think sometimes maybe we think about that enough in relation to communion of what we proclaim when we do this together. And so that's, what, that's the question I want to ask, is what, what do we proclaim when we participate in communion together. You know, before we get going, let's let's just pray that the Lord would meet us that the Holy Spirit would be with us this morning. Father, we want to we want to thank you for this profound holy thing called communion. And it is it's profound, it's holy. And Lord, we don't want to treat it lightly. We want to come and we want to handle this with awe in remembrance of you. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would be present with us this morning. We invite you again to be here. We know that you're with us. And we, we just want to say, come and indwell us, fill us with your spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Fill our minds with your truth, fill our hearts with your truth, with affection for you, with desire, with hunger, with yearning, with all those things that just speak to a desire that we would know Jesus and we would know his death and his resurrection and the hope and the truth that it proclaims for us. Amen. So first thing that we proclaim when we partake in communion is our salvation in Jesus alone. And I want to read um, that, some of those verses in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 25. It'll be on the screen behind me too. Verse 23, For I received, Paul says, from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus says that this cup of communion, the juice that we drink, is symbolic of the new covenant that has been established in his blood. You know, I think that these words, you're probably hearing, them, you're like, this is familiar to me. Like, I, you probably have heard this a lot. If you've been in church and you've taken communion, you're like, oh yeah, I know this. And we can kind of like, we hear these words, and again, like other passages, they just kind of roll over us, and we just kind of, we kind of almost like can tune out or check out, like, yeah, I know that. And I want to I wanna just say, let's not, I, I get how that's easy to do, but this is so, so significant, because we have to ask, what is the impact of this for our lives? Hebrews 9, 24-26 helps us with this. It says there, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, As the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just before these verses in Hebrews 9, it says that Jesus is the mediator. Meaning he's the go-between of this new covenant that he's brought about, that, he, that is being established. And, and what that is, is that Jesus has made a way for you, for us, for all of us to have relationship with God. And so as this go-between, as this mediator, Jesus, he entered into heaven. He appeared before God on our behalf. He sacrificed himself with his own blood to put away all of our sin to put away all of your sin, all of it. A terminal condition that you have, that I have, that every single person born on planet Earth has, a terminal condition that separates you from God. It can't be dealt with any other way but by the shedding of blood. And so before this, before Jesus came and did this, he says that the high priest of Israel would enter the Holy place within the temple once a year. And they'd offer these sacrifices for the sins of the people every single year. Year after year after year after year after year. And it just kept going on. Lambs slaughtered every year. Sacrificial blood every year to make atonement for people, for the people and their sin. It covered the people. And the writer of Hebrews here, he makes the point that this sin was so significant, this sin was so serious that anyone else, if it was anyone else other than Jesus, he would have had to have entered in before the, from the foundation of the world repeatedly again and again and again to suffer. Like th- you ever think about that and you go, like, every single year, a person would have had to have suffered, bloodshed, 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 because sin is serious. But it says Jesus suffered once for all. Every single person, all sins past, present, future can be forgiven. Not not will be forgiven, can be forgiven if we come to Jesus. But if we do, it says it's dealt with forever. And so the, the physical practice of communion with us as the church body can become, you know, I think maybe sometimes it can feel like it becomes rather inconsequential or insignificant. Like, oh yeah, we do this thing. Like, like what does it mean if I eat this little piece of cracker and I, I take this little cup of juice and I do this little thing? Like, what does it matter? What well, symbolizes and it calls us to proclaim the most profound truth that Jesus's death is more than enough and that's why our participation together in acknowledging this is so profound because you are proclaiming when you do this you are proclaiming look I need you and I trust you Lord Jesus to forgive my sins and give life to me I need this since it's only by your broken body it's only by your shed blood that I can be saved there is no other way And so I proclaim, you proclaim when we do this that my sins, our sins, your sins were part of Jesus' suffering, part of his death. And so it's in the magnitude of this as we contemplate this, as we realize this, the sorrow, the joy, the gratitude, the deep love for Jesus that we participate in communion and we proclaim, Jesus, your death was enough. It covers me. We're also reminding ourselves in this, I am not sufficient in myself, I need a savior. I, I cannot somehow make this right. I cannot make myself good enough or somehow attain something so that I'm okay in the presence of God. It's impossible. I need a savior. My sins are in need of forgiveness. So under the Old Covenant, the people, they witnessed again and again the cost of their sin. They would would understand, I have to, this lamb has to be killed. The blood of this lamb has to be shed because of me. This innocent animal has to die because of me. And so the remembrance of Jesus' death calls us to understand the enormity of our sin. This is where remembrance in our formation to the way of Jesus is so important. The remembrance of what his death has accomplished and the promise of the deliverance for us. Because Jesus is not dead, right? That's the thing. We're remembering all this. Jesus isn't dead. We're remembering his death. But Jesus is not dead. Praise the Lord. Like he's not, He didn't stay dead. Right? And so, therefore, our remembrance of him is not tied to memories. We're not tying our remembrance to memories like we would of a person that we know in our family who's died and we're remembering them. No, 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 no. This is different. We actually keep, like, like, we're not doing that. No, our remembrance actually welcomes us. It reminds us, I'm welcomed into a personal, current, living relationship with the Lord who is above all things. Like he's above all things. He's been placed above all things. He's the head over all things, it says, including the church in Ephesians 1. Right? He's delivered us from darkness into what? His marvelous light. Right? And he's made us kings and he's made us his people, his chosen people, chosen race. He's brought us into this. And so it's in this remembrance that speaks to past present future glory we've been saved we've been set free we've been united with Jesus so the second thing we proclaim is our union with Jesus Hebrews 10:16 to 22 sort of speaks of the covenant that God made with his people through the death of Jesus and it quotes Jeremiah 31:33 there in Hebrews 10 that's a, a super significant passage in the Old Testament. If I can just, like that passage in Jeremiah is just like one of those like top five uber prophetic passages in the Old Testament of like God saying, this is what I'm going to do with my people. Remember, remember what Dave spoke about last week in Jeremiah. So the people are in captivity. They're in a bad spot. God promises them what he's going to, he's going to bring them out. He's going to bring them back. And Jeremiah 31 promises that of what he's going to do. And this is what the Hebrews writer is, to, is quoting. He's saying, this is fulfilled in Jesus. God's ways put into our hearts. His ways written on our minds. No longer any remembrance of our sin and our past. Total forgiveness. Total. In fact, we've been given this confidence, it says there, to enter into the holiest of relationship with God by the blood of Jesus, the curtain in the temple has been physically separate. That physically separated the people. That that curtain, that huge curtain that said you may not enter, has been torn into. It says you go through that now. You are allowed to go through that into the holiest place to have relationship with God. Full access. We're invited to draw near with nothing holding us back. Our hearts have been cleansed and we've been washed spiritually with pure water, it says. Unlimited relationship. No limits. Anne Voskamp, she, uh, she wrote this book. I, I have to admit, I have not read it. Um, in fact, I was prepping yesterday and Jen texted me a whole bunch of photos from the book. She says, and she says, you should, <laughs> no, she says, you basically you should read this. And so she's like, I think Jess has a copy of the book. So I, of course, Jess has a copy. And I, I get it out and I start reading. I'm like, oh, like, thanks a lot, Jen. Like, now I have to, like, I can't not talk about some of this because it is so good. But she talks about how there was this pastor who was in Jerusalem. And he was listening to a rabbi teach marriage customs of first century Jews. So he's sitting in this classroom. And and he, this rabbi talked about when a son had chosen to marry, the father would pour a cup of wine and he'd pass it down to his son. This was part of the betrothal process that happened. And the son would then turn to the girl that he was betrothed to, the girl that he was chosen from, him, the girl that he loved. And before God, in front of everyone, he would ask her for her hand in marriage while holding this cup of wine. And he would say these words, Of something to this extent, this cup is a new covenant between you and me, which I offer to you. Think about that. This cup that I'm offering to you is a new covenant. I'm covenanting with you. That's what he would say. This is what Jesus offers us. When he he offered the cup, he's saying, I'm offering this to you. And he's asking in return, do you love me? Will you covenant yourself to me? And he seals it. Jesus seals it with his blood. So the very act of communion is joining us in union with Jesus. And it's a foretaste of the great banquet, right, that's coming that's spoken of in Revelation 19. There's this picture of this great banquet where the Lord is going to welcome his bride, the church. And the church is going to be welcomed in. Now, I don't know how that's all going to work. I believe it's going to happen. This is, this is what's been culminating all throughout history. This is what God has laid the framework and the groundwork for. That this is going to happen. That there's this celebration, and it is going to be the party of all parties, okay? Whatever level of party you think of, when you think of party, this is going to be the party. Like, the party of the world, of all of history. And we're going to be like, whoa! We're not, so we're not in communion. We're not just reminding ourselves of this invitation, That is given to us. And we're not just stirring expectation. We are doing that. Like I want you to be stirred up. Stirred up with expectation for what God is doing. But we are also in communion. This is so profound. When I read this, I was like, yes. We are renewing our covenant to him. We are his bride. Guys, get over that. It's not weird. We are renewing our covenant to him. We are, okay, you are betrothed to Jesus. That's what the church is. The church is called. We are in this state where following Jesus means you are betrothed to him. What does it mean to be betrothed to one? There is no one else. There's no one else. And so communion calls us back to remind ourselves first and foremost who we are. We're loved by the Father. We're united to Jesus. We're not defined by anything else above that. And and I think like we all suffer and struggle to actually believe that on different levels. I, I know that. I know that in myself. I know that every single one of you, you in periods of your life, you suffer and you struggle to believe that you are loved by the Father unconditionally, that you are the beloved and you're united to Jesus. We all wrestle with this. Many different circumstances, many different emotions, many different histories, many different things that have been done to us, many different things that we've done. And we're like, I don't know if I can believe this. Communion says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. We remember, we proclaim who Jesus is, the covenant that we've chosen to enter into, and the promises of God over our lives. It just covers us. What else do we proclaim? Number three, the third thing is our need for spiritual nourishment. So I want to just read um, out of John 6. In John 6, Jesus is speaking there of being the bread of life. And he's speaking about this relationship with him that feeds our souls. In fact, he speaks so literally about it that a lot of people weird out and they're like, what's this guy talking about? And there's like a bunch of them are like, I'm I'm leaving this guy. But this is what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus isn't talking about us being vampires, okay? This is symbolic. I know people are like, this is like really weird. No, he's speaking symbolically of what it means to actually be connected and abiding with him. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Do we, do we get the enormity of what Jesus is saying there? Like, if you don't actually have, if you're not nourished in me, you have no life. There's, you know, there's, there's lots of talk in our secular culture in these days. And like, I mean, lots. And it's seeped into the church where there's a lot of talk about soul care. About how you need to care for your soul, right? And if you do these things, it'll make you happy. So usually it's centered around possessions. Usually it's centered around people or experiences. You just got to do these things. And you got to make room in your life for soul care. It's a big buzzword it, it trends all the time on social media now, soul care. And the lie in it, though, is that you can find everything you need for your soul care in yourself. That you've just got to make enough room or do this or do that. And you'll, you'll find it. You just got to go into yourself and then it'll, and you'll, you'll find that. That peace and that rest that people are desperate for. I believe we are all desperate for soul care. Absolutely. We need soul care. But Jesus says that the true soul care is rooted in Him. That's the difference. It's not rooted in anything else. You will find soul care when you're rooted in Him. Engaging in spiritual disciplines and practices that invite you to follow the way of Jesus in order that you may experience the life of Jesus. Why, why do we want to follow the way of Jesus? Why do we want to do spiritual disciplines? Not because they're an end to themselves. I don't read my Bible because it's an end to itself. I read my Bible because I want to experience the life of Jesus and meet Jesus. What is Jesus saying in these verses? It's, it's profound. He's saying, you are deficient saying, you need my life. You can't survive without it. Don't try to convince yourself that you can survive without my life. And it's, what's so fascinating in Scripture is that Jesus, there's one thing that he tells us to do again and again and again. Communion. That's the one thing Jesus said. Do this again and again and again. To remember my death to remember his brokenness, his sacrifice. Why does Jesus do that? Perhaps because I think sometimes we can be inclined to just kind of skip over all this and let's just get to the good part about Jesus' victory that feels really good. And I, because we don't, don't, let's just bypass my pain, let's bypass my brokenness, I don't really want to touch that, I just want to kind of leave that there. I don't really like to dwell there. Shortly before COVID hit, there was a survey done. 39% of Americans, and I think we could probably attribute this to, can, to Canadians as well, because I think we're very similar. 39% of Americans reported more anxiety than the previous year. 39% before COVID. Now, I'm not, I'm not making this about COVID, but what do you think that number is now? It's not about COVID. It's what COVID has done is simply magnified an already present problem. We are looking to the wrong sources in our lives. We are looking and we, are have, we have broken cisterns. We are trying to fill the wrong things in our lives. 39% having more anxiety. The, I was, I was talking to another pastor this week, and he was talking to young adults, um, late teens, early 20s, and they were saying that, like, all of their friends, the number one thing is just anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Why? Because we're looking to the wrong sources. G- Jess was in the city on Friday when news of the Code Red incoming thing hit, and she phoned me, and she's like, people are actually in like, physical various levels of panic. She was in stores, and she said it was, it was obvious that people were in panic. Guess what the first thing was to go in Costco? She got there. It's gone. <laughs> You're like, but she said it wasn't like, she said, I'm not even kidding, Paul. She says like, people are visibly right now in a state of worry and anxiety over this. So what's, for, for, as followers of Jesus, what is the core issue for us in this? Are we going to Jesus for our spiritual nourishment? What is feeding you and sustaining you in this time? I get it. This time is weird. It's weird. It's, there's pressing things. It feels odd. It feels wrong at times. It's just like, what, what is going on? What is feeding and nourishing and what is going to sustain you through this? Was reading a book this week by John Mark Comer, and I love this quote. He said, let prayer set your emotional equilibrium and scripture your view of the world. You want to know how you do that? One practical way, and I'm learning this. Don't take out your phone the first thing when you get up. Don't even touch your phone until like nine o'clock. Don't hit the news cycle. Don't hit this, hit that. Don't hit Twitter. Don't hit social media. Just don't hit it. Go to prayer. Go to the word. Communion invites us to remember where the source of our life always, always is. That's the point of this. It it invites us actually into the brokenness of Jesus where we can admit our brokenness and we can receive the healing that we long for. So your commitment to being nourished by Jesus in these days, right, your day in and day out, your commitment that I'm going to seek the face of Jesus, I am going to make room for Jesus in my life, I am going to be in relationship with him, your commitment to spiritual habits that will draw you into the life of Jesus will form you for years to come. This time if I can urge you, is incredibly significant. We haven't seen anything like this before. And what we do in these days in connection to our spiritual nourishment will form us for years. All right, lastly, what do we proclaim when we participate in communion together? Our love for Jesus' church. Hebrews 10, that we just looked at that verses 16 to 22, on the heels of that, of what we see Jesus' sacrifice has accomplished for us. When we look at that, then it beckons us on the heels of that. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It says, stir one another up to love and good works, affirmation and encouragement in the body. We need that. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, Paul said. So it was was a problem back then. People didn't want to meet. They didn't want to make this this a habit. He says, don't do that. But, encourage. You want to meet together, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, I I get it. I really do. There's lots of emotions, there's lots of opinions, there's lots of genuine questions around what we're going through right now. Lots. You need the church. If I can just say that. You, we, all of us, we need the church its place in our lives is significant. In communion, we're actually declaring our love for the church. We're declaring our commitment to it. Communion was not done in isolation. Communion was done in participation with one another. And so we're entering this time now where we're going to be limited again. Make every effort to meet together. That's what Scripture says. want to be faithful to Scripture. Go out of your way to encourage and affirm one another. Leaders need this in these days. We all need this in these days. How do we encourage and affirm one another in these days? I want to put that as a challenge to us as the church. How are you going to affirm and encourage one another as we enter into now a different thing in these next few weeks? How are we going to do that? if I can encourage us, don't underestimate the importance of the church, regardless of what the culture is, says, and what the general consensus of culture is. Don't, don't even set your view of that based on what other Christians say. Set your view of this according to what the word says. That God gave Jesus to be over all things. To the church, it says, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is really, really, really important to Jesus. And this care and this concern for the church is at the forefront of of 1 Corinthians, actually. The very, it's at his, the very heart of Paul's concern for the church here in 1 Corinthians because the church was not caring for one another. This is what he says going on in verse, uh, verses 28 and 29. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, we've taken this to mean a lot in the church, where we do this sort of quick internal audit on ourselves. We sit here, we have the bread, we have the juice, and we go, it's an invitation in our lives to think about where we're at, to confess, to repent, to receive forgiveness before we take communion. An invitation to bear ourselves before the Lord, if you will. And, and that's good, because communion is holy. We're coming into the presence of God in communion. It's actually, it's, it's really important. But it's more than that, right? Verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. The context of Paul saying that is the church having cared little or nothing for one another in the eating of the Lord's Supper together. It was all about themselves. It was all about their desires. No regard for those who didn't have and therefore, some were being actually excluded from participating in the meal that is holy. And Paul, Paul's saying, guys, this is not good. This is not right. Some of you are just acting like it's just all about yourself. So how, how do we apply this to our current church context? Right, I think that's the question. How, how do we, what does this mean for 21st century church? Because we don't usually come together specifically for large meals around the Lord's Supper. Maybe we should. That's something maybe in the future we should. But that, that this was a different culture that they did this. But the charge to examine oneself there is in relation to our conduct in the body. Are we caring well for one another? Are we present and participating in the body? That's the underlying questions that Paul's asking them. He's saying, we don't partake of communion on an island. We don't do this in isolation. As a body, we're invited to be caring for, considering one another, being present to one another. So, in the midst of the current restrictions, in the midst of the current climate that we find ourselves in, these become very pertinent questions to consider. How, how do we stay emotion, intentionally connected and caring for one another how do we do that how do we embrace and walk out Jesus' love for the church with one another so we're going to we're going to participate here together in taking the bread and the juice in just a few moments and we're going to just just kind of practical we're going to get up and we're going to um, we're going to socially distance ourselves in our family groups from one another, and we're gonna gonna just file by this table. Daryl and Dan are gonna hand out uh, communion to you individually. As we do this, I want us to consider the enormity of what we're receiving. Before Jesus, God's people would file into the temple and they would bring their sin offering every single year like i said Hebrews 10:3 says that in these sacrifices there was a reminder of these sins every year that was part of why they were doing what they were doing it was a reminder year after year after year and the word there in the greek for remembrance is only used 4 times in the new testament really interesting it's used in Hebrews 10 3 and then it's used once in Luke 22 and then it's used twice there in the passage in first Corinthians 11 so once it's used to talk about what the people used to do and be reminded of three times it talks about now the remembrance we have of what Jesus has done for us where there used to be a reminder this is what I think the point is in the word where there used to be a reminder every single year of your sin. Look at your sin. You need to be reminded it's bad. Now, it's been replaced. And we remember the sacrifice that covers us and invites us into relationship. It's different. It's completely different. It's no longer now where you have to be reminded of how bad it is. Now you're saying, I remember what Jesus has done for me and he invites me into relationship.